My name is Jason Zastro. I serve here on staff at Apex uh, as our growing team lead. Uh, we have three different aspects of our ministry here. Our gathering, which is what you're experiencing right now. Our growing, which is where our leadership development and our personal discipleship and mission takes place uh, through house churches and learning communities. And then finally, our going team, uh, which is our outward expression, both internationally and locally. And I get to help lead a team here uh, for our house churches and our learning communities, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, we're picking up back from the book of Acts. Uh, last time, we were in Acts chapter 16, around verses 16 through 40. And uh, we'll be reading this morning from Acts chapter uh, 17, verses 1 through 9. Before we get into that, I want to uh, describe a little bit about what we've seen so far in Paul's ministry. Uh, Paul was sent out from the Jerusalem church up to Antioch, who then sent him out on his first missionary journey out through Asia Minor. There he went to Pisidia and Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, uh, and other areas around there, came back and gave report uh, to the Jerusalem church, that there had become Gentile believers. Uh, they were very caught off guard by this, but very excited. And the question was then how they were to worship as Gentile believers. Uh, and they gave a report back out to the churches uh, that they were to abstain from sexual morality and food sacrifice to idols and from idol worship uh, and things like that. And uh, Paul then went out on his second missionary journey. During his second missionary journey, uh, after having gone up through Asia, if you can imagine where Asia meets along the Aegean Sea, he had a Macedonian call. During this Macedonian call, uh, he uh, experienced a vision of a man who was calling him to Macedonia, uh, which was the greatest province in that area. If you remember Alexander the Great and that such from the Gre Greco uh, the Greek Empire, uh, this is kind of where they began to take base. Uh, in that space, though, Paul did not meet this great, magnificent man as he anticipated. Uh, he met a woman, a wretch, and a wounded soldier. He wasn't ex what he was expecting, perhaps, was the loftiest and the greatest of people, and what he found instead that God brought to, to form the first church in Europe was those who were marginalized, those who were at the, the edges of society, those who were the least expected to make up the people of the first church in Europe. A woman, a wretch, and a wounded soldier. And it's from there, from this radically equal community, that Paul and Timothy and Silas, Luke perhaps stays behind, uh, they begin to travel along, along uh, the Via Engesha, uh, along this major road through Amphipolis and Apollonia to come to the capital of the region, Thessalonica. And that's where we'll pick up this morning. This is in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, 
explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world, some other translations say, these men who are turning the world upside down, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one who is called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Let's pray. Father God, as we are encountered by you through your revelation to us, given to us in scripture and by your spirit, may we, uh, may we celebrate King Jesus today. Uh, may we see you as our ultimate safe space, a place of refuge, a place of, of nourishment, a place of growth. Lord, uh, thank you for our brothers and sisters who also create these safe spaces for us in which we can be protected against uh, the wiles of the enemy. Uh, but more than anything, God, help us not retreat to safe spaces to stay there, but in order to be built up, encouraged, and sent back out into mission for you. God, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you haven't picked up on this morning, whether from the talk that Elise gave or what I just prayed like 10 times, uh, we'll be talking about what it means to have a safe space in God, uh, how we create safe space for each other. As we enter into this new year, uh, a lot of us are coming out of our shells a little bit uh, because of the last year that's dragged on for two years. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but when 2022 finally happened, it was like, what happened to, to 2019? It was like all of a sudden we jumped from 2019 to, to 2022. It's, it's just been both something that's been equally long and as equally slow as possible. But the last two years have really caused us to reflect upon uh, things like safety. Uh, where is my trust? Where is my hope? Uh, is my trust in man or in the Lord? Those are questions that we've been running through our heads nonstop as all of us have wrestled through the realities of, of the last two years. And it's from that space then that we are now moving back out into mission. It's from that space of safety, that space of, 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 of community that we are re-energized and that we are sent back out into mission. I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite safe spaces has always been in my mom's arms. Um, my mom gives the best hugs. Some of us, you know, we don't have our mothers anymore. We had bad relationships with our moms. But, but with each of us, I'm sure we can identify someone who has given us just a place in which we feel safety, in which we feel comfort, in which we feel love. 
In fact, Paul himself in the letter to the Thessalonians that he wrote after this experience of escape, he described the Thessalonians kind of like they were kids and we were learning from you. Paul himself described the Thessalonians almost like a child learning from its mothers, that the Thessalonian church was like a mother to Paul. And so some of us, we're in this room and and we're like, yeah, I have that safe space. I have community. I have a place in which I feel loved, in which I feel cared for, and which I feel known. Some of us very well might experience this room as that safe space in which we experience the closeness and the presence of God. What we're going to look at this morning in this text is what are the qualities, what are the things that make up a healthy, safe space? I'm just going to go ahead and draw it for you now, and we'll come back and reference to it later. Um, But in order to have a healthy, safe space, oops, is that too small? That's probably too small. we first see that there's revelation. That God is speaking. That God is making himself known. That God is in dialogue. That God is in communication with his people. That God is speaking his safety and his presence over us. The second thing that we see is radical equality. This is the part that's referenced when the world is being turned upside down. That there is, that there is as Paul says in Galatians uh, chapter 2, that there's neither male nor female, neither Greek nor Jew, neither slave nor free, for they're all one in Christ. As we just experienced uh, last month when we went through the previous section of Acts that just preceded this, that a woman, a wretch, and a wounded soldier could all have safety with God and be in part of his community. I think we've lost the screen, but got it back. And then finally, that they go out on relational mission. That it's from this space of safety that they are now sent out again. Jesus never sent people out one by one. He always sent them out two by two. He sent them out with multiple people. Some of the time when we experience mission, that reason we don't have success in our mission is because we're doing it by ourselves. We were never meant to do God's mission by ourselves. I know this personally. I am learning this personally. For those of you guys who know me, I love a place called Bullwinkles. It's right across the street from where I live. How many times have I gone there by myself? Way too many the Lord has shown me through the kindness of my good friend Becky, uh, my girlfriend, that like, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing this one by yourself. And so that is my resolution for the new year, to not go to Bullwinkles by myself. That's not the only resolution. But <laughs> and so let's see now how we see revelation, radical quality, and relational mission, how this creates a safe space for God's people. Now, notice, I said this is a safe space, but what I'm not saying is that there's not suffering. 
Just because we create safe space for God's people does not mean that we don't also experience suffering along the way. If anything, it is a place of respite, of retreat, of rest from the suffering that we experience in the world as we go out on mission with God. So let's look back then, if we can pull back up Acts chapter 17. Let's look at what Paul does when he goes to, when he goes to Thessalonica. Uh, verse 2, as was custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as, excuse me, a large number of women, large number of God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. One of the things that isn't really helpful in this text is the way that it talks about uh, when Paul says that he reasoned with them. Um, the word here is dialegami. Say that. Turn to your neighbor and say dialegami. Dialegami. Say it again. What does that sound like to you? Dialogue, right? What Paul is sitting down with them is he is opening up the idea of Jesus as the Messiah through dialogue, through back and forth. A lot of us, when we might hear those of us who have grown up in the church or even have experienced some of the abuses that can come when uh, people share uh, about Jesus, is it is this one-way, sometimes angry, or, 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 or uh, extremely passionate expression. That's not what Paul's engaging in here. Paul's engaging in dialogue. He's reasoning with them. He's engaging in conversation. It then goes on and he says that he is diagonio, he is revealing, he is opening the scriptures to them. So he is in dialogue He's having back and forth conversation. And then he's just saying, hey, this is what God has shown me. This is what he's revealed to me. And then finally, it says that he, uh, that there is a perithomy, that, that he is in this coming together with them, setting a table like a dinner. So let's read it again. And we'll see this here. It says he's exp he reasoned with them or he dialogued with them from the scriptures. He explained this and then proving or setting the table that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. The best example that I have had of this experience uh, recently has been at Mike and Sally's house. Uh, Mike and Sally, as Mike shared earlier, the Discovery Bible community, an expression of this thing we call Apex Oikos, or household or house church, but a, a very specific and new expression that we're excited about, is this. We sit down and we simply read the text. Here's what the text says. And then we, we go around and we sit in small little groups and, and figure out, okay, what is it that we think the text is saying to me? What is it that God is revealing to me through this passage? And then someone's with a whiteboard, and, and they, we go around and we share what it is that God is revealing, and it's just a conversation. It's just a dialogue. And what's been so neat and so humbling about this process is 
is that everyone is coming together in this space with, with a radical equality with each other, where there's no power imbalance, where everyone is sharing and is feasting on the word together. And it's, it's this type of thing that I've experienced in their house that has been a picture, I think, of what it means to be the New Testament church. And so I'm very, very excited about the opportunities and the birth of this new expression and its, and its, and its propagation. And if you are a house church leader here or if you're interested in starting something like this, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to check it out. Sorry, Sally, if you have to make more soup. Okay, I'll make some soup. But it is a community of revelation that first creates this safe space, a place where we can experience God's voice for ourselves because he is the creator of the universe, and how more safe does it get than that? But that doesn't mean that everything just stays okay. There's an outside force. Paul himself describes this outside force in the book of Thessalonians as the machiations, the, the works of the enemy. And God, and God is, work, not God, the enemy is working through these people who are jealous. Verse five, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city, shouting, These are men who have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, and when they had heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown in turmoil. So here they are, you can imagine this, sitting in Jason's home, reasoning, dialoguing through the scriptures. And Paul, most likely, and Silas and his companions are, are following the pattern that Jesus did, that the early church did, and going from house to house to house. So those who are jealous of Paul and what he's teaching about Jesus being the Messiah, about being the king, they go to the marketplace and the, they go and they, 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 they wrangle up some ruffians. They wrangle up some of the bad eggs of the group, of the city, and they bring them out to Jason's house. Now, in this, they were, Paul stayed safe. There wasn't, he wasn't there. Paul, by God's grace, was in a different house at this point. The community began to create a place of safety for Paul in the midst of this onslaught, in the midst of this assault. And when they brought Jason and the others before the magistrates, they said, this is what these men are doing. They are preaching that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. And through the announcement of Jesus as king, they're turning the entire world upside down. Two major things here that they're accused of. 
They are preaching another king, a king who is Jesus, and turning the world upside down. Now, during this time, there was something that was beginning to take place within the Roman world uh, for about the last 100, 150 years. And that was something that historians and theologians would call, come to call imperial cult worship. And what imperial cult worship simply means that the gods that they had been worshiping, like Zeus and Apollos and those others, uh, they were now beginning to take the back seat. And instead, Caesar himself was becoming deified and, and made into God. To the point that I think it was Vesuvius or, or someone on his deathbed said, I think I have become God. Augustus would have his own statues. Roma would have his own statues. You would enter into Thessalonica, and there would no doubt be statues to these, to these emperor gods. So when they come in and they are announcing that there is another king, a name by name Jesus, I mean, that is the worst possible offense that you could make at that time. And then he goes on that they are turning the world upside down. What possibly could this mean? All they're doing is announcing that Jesus is king, right? Well, that's one big way. But another big way is by establishing communities of radical equality. We saw earlier on the triangle that a safe space is a, a space of revelation. It's also a space of radical equality. Now, we have to dig a little bit into what this turning the world upside down means. So f forgive me for a second. I'm going to put on my, my, my nerdy kind of Jason for a second. And we're going we're gonna to look at, we're going to read, I'll read for you actually, uh, from Aristotle. How many, when was the last time anyone in this room read Aristotle? Okay, we got like two. So we're going we're gonna to read a little bit from Aristotle today. And um, Aristotle, he and many other philosophers during their time created what were called household codes. The belief was that the entirety of the empire was built upon the household, upon the oikos, so much so that the word here for world, throwing the world upside down, is its root word is oikos, oikomenthe, that, that it's an entire world of oikoses. And this is what we see Aristotle say. Listen to the relationships and figure out whether or not there is radical equality here. Now that it is clear what are the component parts of the state, First of all, to discuss household management, economia, the word that we get economy from. For every state is comprised of households. Household management falls into departments corresponding to the parts to which the household is composed. And the household in its perfect form consists of both slaves and freemen. The investigation of everything should begin with its smallest parts. So what he's saying is, if we want to understand the whole of the empire, let's understand the smallest parts. And the primary and the smallest parts of the household are the master and the slave, the husband and the wife, the father and the children. We therefore ought to examine the proper constitution and character of each of these three relationships. By that I mean mastership, that of marriage, 
and that of having kids. He says progenitive relationship, but I figured having kids would be easier to say. So here, what we see is that the whole of the empire is built on this household model. Okay, now the first thing that you notice is who is named first? This is really key within Roman culture. The greater is always named first, and then it's the lesser. Okay, so we first see the master and then the slave, the husband and then the wife, the father and then the child. Going on, describing this, now this is where it gets real fun. Aristotle says, hence, there are by nature various classes of rulers and ruled. For the free rules the slave. Is that radical quality? No. The man, the male, the female, or the husband, rules the wife. And the man, the child, or the father, the child, in a different way. And all of these possess various parts of the soul. So what it's saying here is all these are, are various expressions of human, but they're not all fully human. For the slave has nothing in it that is of human at all. The slave has not got the deliberative part of all. And the female has it, but she doesn't have it completely without full authority. And the child has it, but it's in an undeveloped form. So here, this is what we see is called a household code. What, what Aristotle is saying is that there is man, and then woman, and then child, and then below the dogs, the slave. Now, we get a taste of the type of radical quality, the type of community that, that Paul is creating, that God is creating through Paul's communities, as we just saw in Philippians chapter, I mean, sorry, in the, the church of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. What do we see? Who makes up this early church? A woman, a slave, and a wounded soldier. It is a, it is a community of radical equality. Paul goes on, and what becomes the most, most likely, the most uh, distributed letter of all of his letters to the church in Asia and Europe was the letter to the Ephesians. Paul writes his own household code. Now remember, two seconds ago, who's named first, the greater and then the lesser, right? The husband and then the wife, the master, then the slave, the father, and then the child, Let's have some fun. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look in verse 21. Paul starts off his household code with this. It's not one of top-down submission. It's one of mutual submission. Ephesians 5.21 starts with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on, and almost as a, a reimagination of the Greco-Roman household code, he flips all 
of the relational structures. Who's named first? The husband or the wife? The wife. Scroll down a little bit. Who's named first? The father or the child? It's in verse uh, 6-1. It's the child. Who's named first in the relationship between the master and the slave? It's the slave. So much so, remember it was the master named first in Aristotle's. Where's the master in this one? Last. And this is what he says to the master. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What? With dignity and respect as if they're human beings? Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The master of the house has his own master? Woo! What creates a safe space is a, is a community that is living and breathing the word of God and a place of radical equality amongst those who are participating in it. How do I know this? Because the ones, the house churches that are doing well are living this way. There's, there's house churches in our past that are no longer uh, with us but there were always like there were house churches that were centered upon one person, upon one couple. And there was never giving away of power or authority or doing things together. And when those particular individuals left that house church, want to guess what happened to that community? Disintegrated. The house churches that have practiced this idea of radical equality are the ones that, regardless of size, big or small, there's flourishing of relationships. I'll leave you to go figure out what this means for you and your family. I might have stepped on a little bit of toes today with this reading of the text. You can go figure that out. There's plenty of commentaries. I'm not here to tell you what you think or do in this manner. I'm just saying, here's what the context is. Here's the text. Let's go figure it out as we serve the Lord together. So these are communities of revelation. They're communities of radical equality. And finally, they're communities of relational mission. In verse 9, it says that Jason and the others were released and they let them go. Paul and Silas and the others went from that place of safety and they went back out on mission. How many of us would experience suffering and we would, or persecution, and we would kind of curl up and, and just stay inside. It's when we have others to do it with that we get courage when we're not doing it alone. Jesus never did it alone. Let's look at how Jesus did it. Jesus always, always had his Father. And within the Spirit, what are some other groups of people that Jesus spent time with? The three, Peter, James, and John. Who else? The twelve. And then what? 
It was always amongst the crowds, amongst the people. Where did Jesus spend the majority of his time? With his father. And if you go and look at the text, it's the least amount of time as he spends with the crowds. We call this, this is the intimate space or the private space. This is the personal space. This is a social space. And this is a public space. At Apex, we have all four of these spaces as well. Oh, I totally forgot one, didn't I? Yeah. The 72. This is the larger extended family of community. I'm gonna, I totally confuse you guys, and I'm so sorry for that. This is the intimate space. This is the personal space. This is the social space. And that's the public space. We have these as well. What are we experiencing right now? A gathering. We have house churches and households that come together. We have huddles for the purposes of leadership development. And then we have our own walks and our own spiritual friendships with one another. Paul himself, he's got the crowds that he's speaking to. He's got his own oikoses that he's building. He's got his traveling companions that he's going around town to town with. And then he's got at least these three, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke, who are his major companions throughout at least this journey. And then most ultimately, his intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. At Apex, we too have these spaces. And what we're talking about as we enter into this new year is how do we engage in these spaces? How do we relate to one another in these spaces? How do we grow in these spaces to be sent back out on mission? Maybe you're involved in all four of these spaces, or maybe you're just involved in one of them. This one, the gathering. We invite you to consider the other spaces that we have here to offer at Apex. The space of the house church and the household. The space of the learning community where, where leaders and people who want to lead gather together and, and reflect on what it is that God is doing, what he's saying, and what they're going to do about it and be sent back out on mission. We invite you to consider the house church or the household or Discovery Bible community. There's two brand new walls on either wing that has all the house churches uh, that are currently opened, listed for you to consider joining. Uh, you can just grab a card and it has the description on the house church and an email address for you to email them and be put into direct contact with them. So feel free to check those out. We have huddles for those of you who are wanting to grow in your leadership development. Um, and then finally, we have a relational community uh, a leadership community, uh, a growing community that we call the Rasande Learning Community. And I have just a couple videos that I'd like to share with you to describe what the community is about. And then after that, I have a little tool. We're going to do kind of like a little bit of a taster 
of what it means to participate in one of these communities, one of the things that we do in this community uh, uh, that explores how it is that we have breakthrough. So let's watch the first video. And this one's kind of like more for those of us who are sensors and feelers. Imagine a life of passion, of victory, of freedom, in hardship, in brokenness, in the valley. Remember who you are. You are a child of God, loved by the Father, saved by Jesus, filled with the Spirit, called to love, gifted to serve, sent to disciple, but not alone. We seek God together, we journey together. Let's be a people who learn from Jesus, who create communities, who bring heaven to earth. Sunday Learning Community. So that is a picture of our community, our learning community, and what we're about. We're in this for the purposes of coming together and reflecting on what it is God's saying to us and going back out on mission. I'm going to save the other video. You'll see it in the next couple weeks just for the sake of time. Uh, but what I would like to do in our final time together is to reflect upon the, what we are seeing in Paul's life, how it is that he experienced breakthrough. So, one of the tools that we use in the Rasande learning community is called the SWOT analysis. This is a bit of a taster of what we can experience. But in the SWOT analysis, this is the very first thing that we explore in the community. What we are asking is the question, what is? How are things currently going in our community, in our life, in our mission? And in that, we evaluate what opportunities we have, as well as what threats, our strengths, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-S, and our weaknesses. And we just name these as they are. When weakness meets a threat, we call that a failure. When there's something that is coming against us and we don't have necessarily the character or the capacity or the confidence to face that on, that we have a weakness, that's a failure. And when weakness meets opportunity, that means that we're not strong in something but there's an opportunity to go out and do something about it, it's a frustration. When strength meets threat, that means we're strong in doing something, and there's also an external force out to get us or to go against us. We experience battle. And then finally, when opportunity meets a strength, we have breakthrough. 
Now, this passage is pretty similar, pretty easy to figure out. Which quadrant is Paul in? Say it out loud. Battle. Why is Paul in battle? There's an external threat from those who are opposed to him, right? But he has the strength to face it. And so Paul, in this, he moves from battle to breakthrough. Where are you at currently on this map in your life and in your mission? Are you down in the failure? And you're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm doing well. Well, the good news there is that we are not without hope because we always have the promise of the resurrection. Are you frustrated? Well, the good news there is that we don't have to do this of our own accord. We can go to God in faith and ask him to carry us forward. Are you in the midst of battle? Well, the good news there is that grace meets us, gift meets us, and it brings us home. This is just a taste, a teeny, teeny, tiny taste, because we usually spend like an hour on this, exploring what it is to be intentional with our influence so that we can experience breakthrough. I have a few quotes from people who have gone through this experience themselves. This is what Justin says. He says, I felt like I wasn't a good Christian. If I didn't say Jesus in a conversation with a non-believer, I put the pressure of converting someone on myself. This led to guilt and fear and shame. I now try to show love and just let him do the rest. God, through Apex, through the learning communities, through huddles, showed us a new way of being Christian that I think is biblical. After putting this new way into practice, one that wasn't around fear, guilt, and shame, we have deeper level of relationships with believers and non-believers than we have ever had. This has led to more conversations about Jesus than we could ever thought we or dream of. Jillian and Tim, they wrote, overall in our house church, we have seen growth and sharing outward, pushing to light in dark places, and committing to regular time with people of peace. Prayer has really been the breakthrough as we come together once a week and entrust our lives and their ministries to God. Much joy in coming back together over the table to share what God has done since we last met and intercede for one another. And then this one finally from Mark and Joan. Uh, During the year before Mike came, we had started moving toward a much more organic kind of weekly gathering in that we were sharing a meal together and having a dynamic sharing amongst the group and having dialogue. Uh, before that, it was almost a sense of guilt that we weren't doing enough with a simpler model. However, because loving one another and answering the simple questions of what God is saying to us and what am I going to do about it allowed focusing our time together and have encouraged some very good conversations. There is breakthrough happening in this community. And it's not because of great and awesome leadership. And it's not because simply of you all becoming more intentional about your influence to make and multiply disciples of Jesus. It's most ultimately because of God and his work in us.
So let us, as we enter into this new year, and as the band comes forward to sing our last song, let us prayerfully be intentional about inviting God into our community so that we can hear his voice, so we can experience this radical quality, and so that we can be sent out together on mission. Let's pray.